God, I thank you so very much that you are alive, that you are aware of what we are going through. Uh, Different ones of us had a challenging morning already. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you're aware and that you're able to do something about it, uh, but also that you're active, you're with us we can be aware of your presence. And so um, as we turn to the scripture today, the help that you provided for us to know you, uh, please, uh, by your Holy Spirit, help us to learn and to grow uh, through this. I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are in um, the preparation for Easter and our stated purpose uh, as a church is to be helping people connect with Jesus Grow in faith and share His love. We pull that from the Scripture and getting to know Jesus is important for Christians. It is what is behind the Santa and the Easter bunny of Christmas and Easter, the birth and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It is what is underneath all of that. And uh, this week, as uh, some have been uh, practicing Lent And we have stuff up online where you can read um, more about that. And leading into Good Friday, when ancient Christians have remembered the day that Christ was crucified, though it was not on this date in the calendar. And then when he was um, crucified, dead for three days, and then came back to life. And Easter Sunday is the Sunday when we remember what his resurrection means to us. It's why it's important. It's why it matters. And so in leading up to that, one thing that we try to do every year around the month of Easter is revisit the scriptures and make sure that we know what we're talking about, that we are close to the person, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, um, who is very important to our faith. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We want to take a slightly different approach than we have in the past today. I want to ask this simple question. What does Jesus' sacrificial death do for us? I'm going to lift today um, from the Purple Book, which is really a book with questions that are structured in Bible studies that we freely give away. There's a couple back at the uh, offering box. In fact, if you don't know, just back here in this corner, we've got um, a secure box where you can make your donation. Uh, Most of us make our donations online at cbcbaltimore.com, but you can make your donation right there. There's also the monthly info print piece or you can keep up with what's going on with us if you don't want the monthly church email there's envelopes and invite cards that you can use to invite friends to church Um, but what we all have there is a couple of the purple books which is a very uh, basic simple and yet extensive one two three of christianity and so i'm going to lift from this uh, bible study about what does jesus sacrificial death do for us uh, because you know I grew up in a church and you can kind of get sick of all the activity and not be aware of what it means and what it means to me personally you with me this morning so in short what you see on the screen is that God the Jesus sacrificial death for us let me get there oh I took it off I'm sorry Jesus' sacrificial death for us is God's solution for humanity's sin. 
Uh, there's two kinds of people in this room. Ravens fans. No, I'm just kidding. There's sinners and forgiven sinners. That's it. There's not, not one of us that's perfect. No one's perfect. We've all sinned. But not only that, we were born into it. The original couple, Adam and Eve, God created the world. He said, let there be light and the big bang occurred. If you're not aware, God's Not Dead, the movie's streaming on Netflix. More on that there. God said, let there be light. God created the world. He blanketed our earth with uh, atmosphere, with moisture. He carved the deep of the oceans, the height of the mountains. He created Adam, saw that he was alone and said, that's not good. After creating everything else and saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. He created Adam, saw that he was alone and said, that's not good. And he created Eve. He put Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them purpose. He gave them function. He gave them the fruit of the trees, the fruit of the ground, and the animals to take care of. And they had joy. They had peace, uninterrupted. And if we want to learn more about God, we must look at that origin story and realize that God only gave them one prohibition. There was only one thing that God said, do not do. So when we come and we approach God, we don't approach God the rule maker. We approach God the God of grace. But we approach that Him in that way reasonably so by learning about Him from the Scriptures. God gave them one prohibition. There was one tree that God pointed out, the tree of the the knowledge of good and evil, and said, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. The devil came in the form of a serpent and began to question Eve. He began to use the Word of God, which you will find that he does. He'll use Scripture and twist it. He began to use the Word of God and say, has God really said... And he would overstate the consequences. And then when Eve would quote back the scripture to the serpent, she would understate. And there's this back and forth of not accurately quoting what God really said. And most of us have heard the story. And Adam and Eve, they did the one thing God asked them not to do. And then there were consequences that were the result of it. And this afternoon you can read the story, Genesis 1, 2, 3. And what we see is that God... Adam and Eve go hiding. How many of you have found your place in a state of your own mistakes and shame and you want to hide from God? It's a story of humanity, really. It's God's story, or what we might call the gospel or the good news, creation, and then the fall. And we all, as descendants of Adam and Eve, are it's in our genetics. You're born into it. You know, a lot of parents in this room, you know that a child doesn't have to be old enough to put a sentence together before a child starts sinning. We're born into this thing, right? But it is, in fact, our inner human nature that is twisted because of the fall. I want you to notice something that prior to doing the one thing God had asked them not to do, Adam and Eve did not have sin. They weren't abusing each other, lying to each other, gossiping about each other. That'd be kind of weird. They weren't stealing from each other. They didn't have that sin nature. God did not create us to live 70 years. Read your Bible. 
In perfect creation, God created us for relationship, for purpose, for function, for joy, for pleasure. God created us not with this human nature. The human nature, the twisting, the perverting of our nature came as a result of the fall. They hid, but God pursued them. God pursued them and God asks them what happened and God brings them to a place of repentance and God brings upon them the first occasion that we see of His grace giving us the good that we do not deserve and His mercy not punishing us the way we do deserve. But even in that moment, there are consequences. When Remember, Adam and Eve loved animals. You know, the internet, I don't know what it would be without cute puppy and kitten pictures and videos. And Adam and Eve loved animals. They enjoyed animals. And yet after they sinned, what did God do? God killed an animal and used the skin to give them clothes. A part of God's redemption story from the very beginning before he restored them to relationship with him and restored them to purpose involved bloodshed. And we can't look at the cross of Christ without understanding that it cost God something. Bonhoeffer, a German contemporary of Adolf Hitler, wrote about the fact that it was actually the German church that gave Hitler the political power to rise the way that he did. And Bonhoeffer wrote that within the German church, it was a cheap understanding of grace that allowed Christianity to be so deluded that Hitler would be given such power. And my fear is that we have a cheap grace in our functional understanding. And we can't understand God's grace without understanding consequences and the purpose for bloodshed. No intent to be gory. I'm not going to show the passion of the Christ, uh, the Catholic phrase for the suffering of the Christ or such pictures, or read to you the account of what Roman execution was. But let's understand this. Hebrews rightly says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Sacrifice. that Because of sin, someone has to pay the penalty. And God in His grace did that with animals and not human sacrifice as the demons who revealed themselves to ancient peoples did when they sacrificed their babies for their forgiveness of sin. But God in His grace instituted an animal sacrifice as a forgiveness of our sin at first. Because he wanted his people to see that when you have a trespass, when you cross lines you shouldn't cross, that there are consequences. That it cost something. And God in his infinite wisdom brought about the Roman Empire, allowed the Roman Empire to rise in power, knowing that when the gospel message was ready to go forth, that would mean that his followers could go safely and freely from nation to nation, that previously roads that the Romans built, and the the plumbing that they built, and the safety that they provided, and the citizenship that they provided. God allowed the Roman Empire to rise with purpose. But a part of that purpose was that no one, in fact, in truth, not even to this day, has any nation been so proficient at execution as the Romans were. 
No one documented it with such great detail. The Romans made themselves professionals in torture and execution. And they used the cross, which was to the Jews a symbol of one who was cursed. The Romans, see, we cannot... You can say, oh, oh, you can't prove that a God exists, but you cannot disprove that Jesus Christ walked the earth and was executed by professionals. The academic standard of historical documents holds true with the number of historical documents that still exist to this day and their consistency across the number of those documents that document the fact that Jesus lived and was executed by the Romans, that he was declared to have been resurrected and that no one could debunk his resurrection. It's an established historical fact. But what does it mean to us? With God, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Let's go to the scripture this morning. Are you ready? Let's go to Romans chapter 5. It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Matthew chapter, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 5. I'm sorry, I want to start in chapter 3. Excuse me. Chapter 3. And I want to read verses 23 through 25. Are you there? Okay, good. Romans chapter 3. Uh, verses 23 through 25. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. Meaning, He says we're clean and we are in right relationship with Him and others. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So Paul uses actually legal vocabulary to write about the fact that not only are we all in this together, no one is exempt from needing this justification, but he uses legal vocabulary to refer to the fact that God, through sending His Son Jesus Christ to be crucified for us, removed the guilt of our sin. He removes the guilt. He takes away the guilt of our sin. And that's why He justifies us. An English simplification making it so that it's just as if I never sinned. But it's really a legal terminology to mean I've been not only exonerated, but as though I was never accused. Isn't that amazing? He justifies us, saves us from the wrath of God. Now let's go to Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Next page for me. You've got it there. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we are still sinners. See, God didn't wait till you were at your best, dressed up looking good for church this morning with your best face on, 
acting as if nothing has ever been wrong in your whole life. God didn't wait until you were at your best, but when you were at your worst, He already made the decision that Christ would pay the price for your sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Verse 9, And since we've been made right... We have that phrase again, made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So not only are we justified legally in front of God's eyes where our, the guilt of our sin has been removed, but we are also made clean, we're made right in His sight, and we have been rescued from the wrath of God. The truth is that God is pure. God is love and peace only. But as such, the trespass, our sin, our mistake that separates us from Him and separates us from others, angers Him. It angers Him. And He cannot live with those that are in sin. He can't can't be in the same room. So He's reached out to us through Jesus because that's not His desire that we would be separated from Him. His desire is that we would be brought near. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. So go Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Paul again speaking of God, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He redeems us. He, through Jesus, paid the price. There's no longer a price to be paid for your sin. It's settled. It's done. It's complete. Can we pause for a second and just think about what that means? Because I think it's easy for us to approach God in a wrong way and be doing things to try to earn favor with Him. It's easy for us, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to dress a certain way, I'm going to give money to the church or try to clean up my vocabulary or whatever. I'm going to try to live in a certain way to earn the forgiveness of my sins. No, no, that's wrong. That is religion. That is legalism. That's wrong. That removes the gospel, what God has done through Jesus, of its power. You cannot earn your salvation. God's already done it for you through Jesus, through sending His Son to the cross. What a tragedy it is when God has done so much to be able to relate to us through grace that we would try to relate to Him through legalism. Now, we can do good things in our life out of gratitude, out as a way of saying thank you to God and because they have purpose and because there are, it is good that we can accomplish. But we must be very careful to examine ourselves that the good that we do is not to try to earn our salvation to become a better person or be too looked at as though we are a better person. That's wrong. That's cheap grace. Grace cost God everything. 
He redeems us. He brings us to forgiveness. Let's go Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. You guys doing okay? All right. I think this is good. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. But now you have been, and I want to just point out that in this letter, the word you is plural. So it's you all or y'all. You all, he's, he's, and he's writing to people just like us with fears and insecurities and doubts and that find themselves selfish at times and trying to make it happen their own way. But he's writing to people just like us and he's saying, you all, and then united is one of the themes of the letter. A God uniting us back to himself through Jesus. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. I, I you know, as a parent, think of Sesame Street and Bert and Ernie and, and was it Gonzo? I forget who, who was it. That's the Muppets. So, near, far, near, far. Thank you. The Bono singing on their last album, I am so far from your hill of Calvary. How easy we can feel that we are far from God, and yet that's stinking thinking. That's a wrong perspective. Your heart affection may not be placed on Him, but you are not far from Him. For the Bible rightly says, and you notice in these passages referring, it is the blood of Jesus, His death, that gory thing we don't like to think about, that is what accomplishes this. We are brought close to God. We are not far from Him. We are brought close to Him. Can I get an amen? amen. Come on, do you agree? Are you happy about this? I am happy about this. Happy, happy, happy. Somebody, happiness. Happiness. We want to enjoy God. For the sake of time, I'll just read to you 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. John, a pastor in Jerusalem who loved to call his disciples my little children. I don't know if it's because he was old, fat, lazy. I don't know. I don't know. But he always called his disciples my little children. I don't know if they were shorter than him. He was taller. I don't know. But he always said that. Doesn't matter. That's right. But just, so John writes one, uh, chapter one, verse seven. But if we are living in the light, now John rightly points out that we have a choice: will we live in the light or live in the dark? If we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The death of Jesus on the cross, it is not His shed blood, it is His shared blood. I highly recommend a book by Philip Yancey, The Jesus I Never Knew. It's in my top five. In another work of Philip Yancey, he talks about the fact that he was at one time a medical student. He was raised by a missionary, didn't want to serve God, came back to faith in God. Long story short, to go in the mission field, he's in med school, but he hates the sight of blood. And he's interning at the hospital while he's in med school, and a teenage girl comes in, and a 
the victim of a car accident. She's bleeding profusely, but thrashing around on the, on the gurney. And they grab him and they say, hold her legs down so they can start to go to work on her. And he watched as through a blood transfusion and the healing of these wounds, she went from looking like she was already dead to having normal color again. And he writes about the fact that it is by God's design that the blood carries oxygen and healing agents to your body. And that it was not the fact that Jesus' blood was spilled on the ground, but it was the fact that Jesus' blood was shared for you to pay the price for your sin. It is the fact that Jesus' blood carries the very life of the living God, that it is now the Spirit of Him who lives in you. It is not the shed blood of Jesus. It is the shared blood of Jesus. We are brought close to God. It cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1.5, I'll just read it for the sake of time. He is, this is John again. He is the faithful witness to these things. The fir- referring to Jesus. And by the way, the book of Revelation, the proper title is the revelation of Jesus. It's all about Jesus, which is true of every one of the 66 books of the Bible. Jesus is revealed in every book. John writes of Jesus, He is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of this world. All glory to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding His blood for us. What does Jesus' death do for us? See, it is not that we can now just be forgiven from our sins. As before you learn about Jesus, you don't have a choice but to sin. It's what the Bible calls you are a slave to sin. You are compelled to sin. Every, before your confession of faith in Jesus, everything that you do is sin. Your good deeds, you're doing to get only good in return. You're doing them separate from the love of God. You can be a good person and on your way to hell. It is the cold, hard truth. And the cold, hard truth is that when you are not in Christ, everything that you do is sin because you are separated from Him. And when we come to Him, to His cross, His shed blood for us, frees us so that once we are at that place of believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth that He is Lord, our Savior, letting go of our sin, turning away from pursuing our own way, but turning to Him. When we come to that point of salvation, we are no longer compelled to sin. Now, we may still have a sin nature, thought, patterns that have been repeated throughout the course of our life. If I do this, I get this pleasure. We may still need to grow up out of our sin nature. We may need to bring ourselves to completely bringing our sinful nature before the Lord and letting Him transform us. But the truth of the matter is, we are now free from it. That's the fact of the matter. We are freed from it. Because he paid the price. First Peter chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. Peter writing about Jesus. And remember, Peter, the one who denied him. Speaking of Jesus, he personally, and he's 
referring to the Isaiah 53 prophecy about Jesus. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Peter, that was really good. I want to read it again. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. That doesn't stop at the end of the scriptures. We believe that God heals today. Documented medical miracles in the house today. Right? By his stripes. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away. But now you have turned to your shepherd. And I love this. The guardian of your souls. Now, I enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxies and watch it again soon with Steve and Joe. But listen, Jesus is the guardian of your soul. How many of you have done enough soul searching to know that your soul needs a guardian? The guardian of your soul. He took our sin so that we could be free from sin, free to live, healed. I want to read this closing statement, if you will, to you before we end with the what should we do and then sharing communion together. What makes God's gift of grace so costly is that Jesus paid for it with his life. Let's not get too far from the truth that Jesus was 100% God and 100% human, lived well into adulthood, a normal unremarkable life with normal life experiences, loving people, listening to people, with a body, with nerves, with pain, tempted in every way that we are tempted. Jesus is real. He's got eyeballs, (laughs) eyes with color. He's got hair. Like right now, today, probably looks better than mine. I don't know, maybe not. The Bible says he's not remarkable. It's probably about my height, actually, if he's not remarkable. (laughs) Jesus had emotions. He had thoughts. He had feelings. He went to the cross, crucified for us. He paid for it with his life. What makes it so powerful is that he came back from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God and showing that God accepted his sacrifice as payment for our sin. What does his death, burial, and resurrection prove to us? So, what should we do? Which is what the people who heard Peter explain what Jesus' death mean said in Acts chapter 2, which you see on the screen, what should we do? This was Peter's response to this question, what should we do? And this is how they responded. What should we do? Peter said, repent of your sins. Turn to God. Be baptized. That's why we're doing water baptism today. If you're here you can accept Christ, that forgiveness of sins. And the way that we do this is a public statement of your faith with immersion in water, a way for you to say publicly, I've got a new start. The old is gone. 
the new is here. It's literally an identification with Jesus' death, burial under the water, and resurrection coming up out. Water baptism. Do you know that Jesus himself prayed, fasted, was generous, and was water baptized? Jesus himself showed us with his actions that this is important. If you've never been water baptized as a public statement of your faith in Jesus, let's do it today. Okay, right after service, Rebecca is going to pull everyone who's being baptized over into theater three for a few minutes. We'll help you with the Bible study. We'll show you what it means and we'll dunk you today. It's Strange, sure, but it's in the Bible as a very important step. And when Peter was asked, what should we do? This was his response. Repent, turn to God, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we are not a Pentecostal church in our practice, but we are a Spirit-filled church in our beliefs. You can read them on our website, or I'll print them to you, whatever you like. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit, including the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, did not end with the close of the Scriptures. We believe that it's alive and real today, but we also believe that Sundays when we gather together, things should be done decently and in order. We believe that the scripture lays out a motive and a purpose for each of the gifts. And that includes, we noticed that when people asked, Holy Spirit, come, it was for a purpose. What you see in those occasions, it was so that they would have boldness to speak the good news to somebody else. And what we don't see in every occasion of the phrase, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, is that it was followed with the evidence of the speaking in tongues. We don't see that. But what we do see that happened every occasion, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they had boldness to speak the good news. And that's something that I know that we need. I need it. I've got neighbors. I'm in this neighborhood and in the school and around people that don't know Jesus all the time. And even I, as your pastor, can get bashful. I'm not at the same volume all week. (laughs) When he says, receive the Holy Spirit, they had already explained for boldness to speak the good news. And then what we see is a follow-up, verses 40 through 47, they devoted themselves to God, to the apostles' teaching, to sharing meals in homes, to communion, which we are going to do now. They devoted themselves to Jesus in this way. They followed Jesus' words to love God with all they've got and to love others. And Jesus' command in Matthew 28 to urge. If you're here and you're a Jesus follower, regardless of your personality or your, quote, strengths, You are compelled by the words of Jesus in Scripture to do these things. I love you, and that's why I tell you this. You are compelled to repent, be water baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, and to love God with all you've got, love others, devote yourself to Him, and urge as many as possible to be followers. Read the Bible. You are compelled. If you're here today, I wanted you to know why. Why did Jesus die? Did this help? I'm happy to email this content to anybody who wants it or print it for you. 
What you notice through each of the scriptures we went to today is that it refers to the shedding of Jesus' blood. I'd like to ask the band to return, and I'd like to ask you to stand with me, if you will, as we close in prayer and with a time of communion.